Welcome! You're listening to a recording provided for the use of the blind and print impaired. Materials or items read on Airs LA are the copyright property of the original authors and publishers. No unauthorized use or duplication is permitted. Hi, I'm Mike Paul, and welcome to this podcast of articles from Ars Technica, a presentation of Airs LA. This is episode 14, recorded July 15th, 2022. We have four articles for you today. We'll examine the radically different viewpoints of Republicans and Democrats as it relates to climate change, learn about the latest phishing scam that can hack you even if you have multi-factor authentication, see how the subscription model is raking in the dough for mobile apps, and reveal what Google's up to when it comes to being upfront about what apps can do on your phone. Science and phishing and apps, oh my! It's all coming up next. Our first article is by John Timmer, published on July 15, 2022. On climate, Democrats and Republicans don't inhabit the same reality. There are many dramatic contrasts between the Biden administration and its immediate predecessor, and climate policy is high on the list. After four years of promises to restore coal use and claims that windmills cause cancer, we have an administration that promises to cut emissions in half by the end of the decade. What does the U.S. public think of this change? The Pew Research Center has been tracking attitudes on climate issues for the past several years, and it has new polling data from early May. The polling shows a general weakening of support for climate policies, with most of the change coming from Republicans. But it also shows that the two parties may not even inhabit the same reality, as they largely disagree about whether the weather has changed. Pew's data is based on a survey of over 10,000 U.S. residents, and it was performed in early May. That's before the most recent surge in gasoline prices, which may be relevant for some questions. In a number of cases, the same questions have been asked for several years running. So we have some data on how attitudes have changed over the transition from the Trump administration to the Biden administration. Overall, a slim plurality, 49% to 47%, of the country feels that Biden's policies are taking the country in the right direction when it comes to climate. But the partisan split here is enormous, with 79% of Democrats agreeing and 82% of Republicans feeling the policies are taking the country in the wrong direction. That said, there's a solid support for most of the actual policies. 90% support tree planting efforts. 79% support tax credits for carbon capture, 72% want to see requirements for more renewable power, 68% support emissions-based taxes on companies, and 67% approve of incentives for hybrid and electric vehicles. Even among Republicans, support for all of these items is over 45%. The one policy that had low support across the board was phasing out internal combustion vehicles. Only 43% of the public favored this course of action, with 55% opposed. 65% of Democrats did support this measure, while 82% of Republicans opposed it. The support for these policies has dropped slowly over the last few years, largely driven by falling support from Republicans. It's possible that they were more accepting of government action when their party ran the government. A similar thing was apparent when Democrats were asked about whether the government was not doing enough about various environmental issues. Those numbers started to drop once Biden took office. 
A large number of people now think that they've experienced the reality of climate change. Over 40% say they've experienced extreme weather and or extended heat waves, while 30% say their region has gone through drought and another 20% cite major wildfires. In all these cases, 80% of those who said they had experienced these problems suspect that climate change has contributed to them, as in many cases it has. As you'd expect, these results show regional differences, with people in the western United States far more likely to note heat waves, droughts, and wildfires, other areas of the country more likely to note severe storms. The disturbing thing here is that partisanship is clearly skewing basic perceptions of reality. With a single exception, Democrats were more likely to say they've experienced these phenomena than Republicans, the lone exception being the drought in the West. The gaps in these perceptions could be enormous, such as a 24-point difference between the parties in the Northeast when noticing severe storms and heat waves. Most gaps were smaller, but their consistency across regions and weather phenomena was striking. Given the severe cause of weather disasters, you might expect an increase in support for environmental measures. But the opposite appears to be true. The belief that environmental regulations provide benefits that outweigh their costs to the economy has dropped from 65% in 2019 to 53% today. Again, this is largely driven by a large decrease in Republican support after Trump left office, a drop that leaves 75% of Republicans saying environmental regulations are too expensive. But even among Democrats, support dropped from 85% to 78% over the same period. Obviously, there were many other events that affected the public's attitude over the course of the last few years, including a million people dying from the pandemic and the government measures that have been taken to try to reduce that figure. So we may have to wait until next year to get a stronger sense of whether this drop in support represents an ongoing trend. Our second article is by Dan Gooden, published on July 12, 2022. Ongoing phishing campaign can hack you even when you're protected with MFA. On Tuesday, Microsoft detailed an ongoing large-scale phishing campaign that can hijack user accounts when they're protected with multi-factor authentication measures designed to prevent such takeovers. The threat actors behind the operation, who have targeted 10,000 organizations since September, have used their covert access to victim email accounts to trick employees into sending the hackers money. Multi-factor authentication, also known as two-factor authentication, MFA or 2FA, is the gold standard for account security. It requires the account user to provide their identity in the form of something they own or control, a physical security key, a fingerprint, or a face retina scan, in addition to something they know, their password. As the growing use of MFA has stymied account takeover campaigns, attackers have found ways to strike back. Microsoft observed a campaign that inserted an attacker-controlled proxy site between the account users and the work server they attempted to log into. When the user entered a password into the proxy site, the proxy site sent it to the real server and then relayed the real server's response back to the user. Once the authentication was completed, the threat actor stole the session cookie the legitimate site sent, 
so the user doesn't need to be re-authenticated at every new page visited. The campaign began with a phishing email with an HTML attachment leading to the proxy server. From our observation, after a compromised account signed into the phishing site for the first time, the attacker used the stolen session cookie to authenticate to Outlook Online, outlook.office.com. Members of the Microsoft 365 Defender Research Team and the Microsoft Threat Intelligence Center wrote in a blog post. In multiple cases, they said, the cookies had an MFA claim, which means that even if the organization had an MFA policy, the attacker used the session cookie to gain access on behalf of the compromised account. In the days following the cookie theft, the threat actors accessed employee email accounts and looked for messages to use in business email compromise scams, which tricked targets into wiring large sums of money to accounts they believed belonged to coworkers or business partners. The attackers used those email threads and the hacked employees' forged identity to convince the other party to make a payment. To keep the hacked employee from discovering the compromise, the threat actors created inbox rules that automatically moved specific emails to an archive folder and marked them as read. Over the next few days, the threat actor logged in periodically to check for new emails. On one occasion, they write, the attacker conducted multiple fraud attempts simultaneously from the same compromised mailbox, the blog authors wrote. Every time the attacker found a new fraud target, they updated the inbox rule they created to include these new target's organization domains. The blog post shows just how easy it can be for employees to fall for such scams. The sheer volume of emails and workload often makes it hard to know when a message is authentic. The use of MFA already signals that the user or organization is practicing good security hygiene. One of the few visually suspicious elements in the scam is the domain name used in the proxy site landing page. Still, given the opaqueness of most organization-specific login pages, even the sketchy domain name might not be a dead giveaway. Nothing in Microsoft's account should be taken to say that deploying MFA isn't one of the most effective measures to prevent account takeovers. That said, not all MFA is equal. One-time authentication codes, even when sent by SMS, are far better than nothing. But they remain fishable or interceptable through more exotic abuses of the SS7 protocol used to send text messages. The most effective forms of MFA available are those that are compliant with standards set by the industry-wide FIDO Alliance. These types of MFA use a physical security key that can come as a dongle from companies like Ubico or Fishion, or even an Android or iOS device. The authentication can also come from a fingerprint or retina scan, neither of which ever leave the end-user device to prevent the biometrics from being stolen. What all FIDO-compatible MFA has in common is that it can't be fished and uses back-end systems resistant to this type of ongoing campaign. Our third article is by Samuel Axon, published on July 15th, 2022. Thanks to subscriptions, iPhone apps finally made more money than games. 
Throughout the short history of smartphone apps, games have consistently driven more revenue than non-gaming app categories. But that has finally changed in the United States, according to new data from app intelligence firm Sensor Tower. The shift began in May 2022. By June, 50.3% of U.S. consumer spending on apps was on non-game apps like TikTok, Netflix, and Tinder. Spending on non-game apps has recently grown at twice the rate as spending on games. Game spending was exploding at the start of the COVID-19 pandemic in late 2019 and early 2020, but by late 2020, non-gaming apps caught up, and they surpassed games in 2021. This has been driven, in part, by the shift so many apps have made to a subscription-based model of late. For years, games generated more revenue not necessarily because they got more downloads, though they often did, but because their long-term monetization was clearer, more consistent, and more robust thanks to in-app transactions. Other types of apps didn't have that going for them, and many were sold for one-time purchase prices or offered a limited number of premium upgrades. In an effort to boost its revenue from the App Store, Apple reportedly met with developers to evangelize the recurring subscription model to them. Subscriptions have become more common in many types of apps. Though the subscription model has at times been controversial with some users, it has become a boon for overall revenue on app marketplaces. Sensor Tower notes that 400 different apps managed at least $1 million in consumer spending in the second quarter of 2022 on Apple's App Store. In the same quarter, 61 App Store apps reached at least $10 million, which is greater than the number that had $1 million in 2016. It's important to note, though, that this shift applies only to Apple's iPhone and iPad App Store. Games are still generating more revenue on Google Play, the app store for the competing Android platform. In fact, it's not even close. U.S. consumers spent $2.3 billion on Google Play games in Q2 2022, but around $1 billion on non-games. And even on Apple's App Store, games still dominate consumer spending in most places outside the United States. Our fourth article is by Ron Amadeo, published on July 15, 2022. Google Play hides app permissions in favor of developer-written descriptions. Google's developer deadline for the Play Store's new data safety section is next week, July 20th, and we're starting to see what the future of Google Play privacy will look like. The actual data safety section started rolling out in April, but now that the developer deadline is approaching, Google is turning off the separate app permissions section? That doesn't sound like a great move for privacy at all. The Play Store's new data safety section is Google's answer to a similar feature in iOS 14, which displays a list of developer-provided privacy considerations, like what data an app collects, how that data is stored, and who the data is stored with. At first blush, the data safety entries might seem pretty similar to the old list of app permissions. You get items like location, and in some ways, it's better a plain list of permissions since developers can explain how and why each bit of data is collected. The difference is in how 
that data ends up in Google's system. The old list of app permissions was guaranteed to be factual because it was built by Google automatically by scanning the app. The data safety system, meanwhile, runs on the honor system. Here's Google's explanation to developers of how the new section works. You alone are responsible for making complete and accurate declarations in your App Store's store listing on Google Play. Google Play reviews apps across all policy requirements. However, we cannot make determinations on behalf of the developers of how they handle user data. Only you possess all the information required to complete the data safety form. When Google becomes aware of a discrepancy between your app behavior and your declaration, we may take appropriate action, including enforcement action. It wasn't entirely clear that the permissions section would be going away when data safety launched. It's a strange regression to go from computer-verified facts to the honor system. It's also hard to trust Google's ability to become aware of a discrepancy, quote-unquote, in the data safety screen when the Play Store already has a huge amount of enforcement and rule problems. It seems like it would be better to combine the two systems, generate a list of permissions, and let developers describe how each one is used. And that brings us to the end of this week's articles. To learn more about Airs LA and the types of programs we offer, follow us at facebook.com slash A-I-R-S-L-A. If you like what's there, please hit the like button. Music provided by Hot Fire. I'm Mike Paul, and I'll be back soon with more stories from Ars Technica. Thanks for listening. <laughs>